right, today we're joined by Nick Spencer from Grace, not Baptist Church, Grace Fellowship Church. <laughs> yes, it's really easy to want to say that. It, it is. is. It is. Grace Fellowship Church in Rockwell City, Iowa. So I've known Nick for six or seven years or longer than that. How long have you been pastor here? I've been here for five years. Five years. Okay, yep. so not six or seven years. years. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Fairly recent then in our history. So yeah. we've been supported by this church for about 23 years. Mm-hmm. But uh, Nick is a product of this church. Mm-hmm. He grew up here. So we're looking forward to getting to meet him today. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name's Norman. And as always, my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. And one way I'm trying to do that is talk to some people who are growing and serving and kind of hear their story of how God moved in their life and got to where they are and, and what God's teaching them now. So today, joined by Nick Spencer. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so obviously I don't know a whole lot about <laughs> your, your history and everything because um, I probably have only met you t- maybe three times. Is yeah, that about yeah, right? Yeah, probably. Um, yep. So I guess to start with, I know you grew up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit of your story. I, did you actually grow up in this church or was that Yes, later? off and on. Uh, okay. So this church was initially a Bible study in my grandparents' home that outgrew their home. Awesome. Uh, and so they you know, got this idea that, hey, and and it wasn't just them. There was other leaders in the church at that time. It was several God-fearing people together um, who said, hey, let's get a a gospel preaching church in in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they moved around from a few places, basements typically of businesses (laughs) in town uh, until they got the space that we're in now. Mm -hmm. Um, As a child, went to church here and and several other places just as my parents tried to sort out for themselves where this the place was that their family was called to um worship and minister and and it would be here and then we floated around a little bit and ultimately ended up here Mm -hmm. by my teenage years Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah that was how i uh that was kind of my my growing up years Mm -hmm. um do you want like the full you know, yeah, from sure. I guess until now, or sure. And one thing I, I guess I'd like to to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested. I, you know, my goal is to be a disciple maker, and I think mm-hmm. discipleship is really important. And a big part of that is intentionally investing in other people's lives. And I find in most people's testimony, there were a few people that mm-hmm. really were key in their spiritual life. And Absolutely. I guess that's part of what I would like to hear is who are those people? And then what was it that they did or said? Because sometimes it's a one conversation. Sometimes it's a few years of, you know, right. walking through. So I guess, yeah, I'd like to hear that story. But particularly if you can think about those people, I'd like, I like to hear how did they invest in you and help you get to where you are today? Right. So uh, initially, um, not too original, uh, it was my grandmother as my Sunday school teacher. Um, just uh, she loved the Lord and she wanted everybody that she had an influence on to love the Lord as so well. You towed the line in Sunday school. So oh, I'm... absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but she was, she was a lot of fun. So it was, there was, yeah, there was a lot of levity to it. Um, but you know, she made following Jesus look like fun, mm-hmm. uh, but still brought the gospel home to bear where I didn't, I didn't want to go to hell, right. you know, and I, I knew I wasn't a perfect kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how we figure that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it was, it was under her influence initially that, that I came to profess faith in Christ. And I, I believe I was saved at a young age, thankfully. Um, but, uh, as I grew up, you know, it's, it's part of my testimony. I, I came to desire the approval of the world mm-hmm. more than I desired the approval of Christ. 
Um, and so uh, as it, it was when I got to college, uh, I met a young man who was a new believer and uh, became quick friends with him. And um, again, just a guy in that stage of life, freshman year of college, so many people who just like go off the rails. Mm-hmm. And here was someone who was running headlong towards Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, professed to be a follower of his all the way through high school, but wasn't really walking with the Lord. Right. And here was a guy who was doing just what I should have been doing and wasn't. And so that, that was instrumental in kind of pulling me away, pulling my affections away from this world and, and mm-hmm. back towards mm-hmm. the, my first love. Uh, and um, then the, the next real pivotal point in my life was uh, meeting my wife. Um, that realization of I'm going to be an adult. Uh, I, I need to help lead this woman and eventually, Lord willing, our, our family, which he has indeed blessed us with. Kind of a wake-up call in it. When you get to that point, you're like, oh, I've got to be responsible, not just for me, right. but for other people. Right, right. And and I had enough influence in, in those years through a, a good gospel preaching church that I knew that that responsibility fell to me to help lead my family. Some gravity there. There was a lot of gravity there. (laughs) It really was. Um, And that's really uh, where I started getting a lot of traction um, Mm -hmm. with my walk with Christ, Mm -hmm. uh, where I really started to mature uh, and and grow. Um, And so uh, we... We found ourselves looking for a gospel preaching church and, and thankfully did that. And um, that was such a blessing as a young couple. We, we lived in a place where we didn't have any family. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in Colorado. My family's in Iowa, hers in Tennessee. And uh, so our church became our family and right. they became the influences on us and, mm-hmm. and just some godly men uh, that I wanted to grow up to be like. And they weren't that much older than me, but they just, you know, they were a couple further steps down the road than I was. And I wanted to be where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that that was great. I, I grew a lot uh, as a young man, a, a newly married man mm-hmm. in that environment. Right. Um, and Bible studies and just, just coffees with other Christian men and mm-hmm. make good Christian friends. And, and that all was really helpful mm-hmm. in helping me grow. And at that time, I wasn't in the ministry. I was working as a structural engineer. And, uh, and, but I was uh, allowed, it was a small church, so I was allowed to, uh, not allowed, I was just <laughs> like, yeah, get in here, get to work. Uh, I was encouraged. Encouraged. <laughs> get, there were opportunities to, for God to use me. Sure. Um, and I, I didn't want the job, but I got the job of uh, being involved with the youth at that church mm-hmm. and just some great kids who wanted to just have a conversation about Jesus Christ. They had grown up in the church that I was working at with at that time, or we were a part of at that time. Um, and they didn't want to necessarily be uh, uh, talked to. They wanted to have a conversation about Christ and kind of sort out right. all the stuff they saw in their world. Mm-hmm. And then let's bring the Bible to bear on this. Mm-hmm. And that really gave me a taste for teaching mm-hmm. and, and 
kind of uh, were the first whispers of the call to ministry mm-hmm. uh, that I could hear. Or okay. So what did that look like as you go from there into actual preparing and, and getting into ministry? <laughs> uh, a, a lot of um, prayer and wrestling with God. That, that was um, some Jacob years there. Uh, and I had a steady income. I was, I had always dreamed of living out West near the mountains and we did, you know, um, there, I, I was fulfilling what I thought was, you know, the The flatlands of Iowa weren't sufficient for you. (laughs) They are now, (laughs) (laughs) but not at that time. No. Um, and so that looked like, uh, an unsettledness with where I was. Mm Uh, uh, I was not comfortable with the direction of my path. Not that the path I was on was ungodly, just that the path that I was on wasn't what ultimately I understood to be his will. Mm -hmm. Um, And as painful as those decisions were, and there were a lot of conversations with godly people, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of time in prayer and in God's word uh, before, um, you know, we kind of set our course to uh, step away from the engineering world and enter into bivocational ministry that we find ourselves in now. Just a few changes, right? Yeah, just a few changes. <laughs> just just a quick address change, and that was it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I stepped out. Uh, of course, I'm so thankful for, for godly preachers in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some men at my wife's home church uh, down in Tennessee or around her home area in Tennessee, um, a preacher that uh, is very influential on me back in Colorado, uh, to just sit down, have coffee with those men, mm-hmm. and then to tell me, you know, you know, if you're called, you're called. Like, why would you resist God if he right. says this is the way you should go? And I'm like, well, because I have bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure God understands. Exactly. It seems so smart now. <laughs> but, uh, and, and they just said, you know, try it. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? You know, and, and all three of those men gave me opportunities to preach in their pulpits mm-hmm. um, and, and then discerning that call was um, largely through the feedback from God's people, the body of Christ, who would either go, mm, I don't know, or they were going to say, you know, yes, right. continue to pursue this, lean into Please this. Stop. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> My own congregation says that from time to time now. So I can, <laughs> can you stop now? <laughs> You've gone far enough. Right, right. <laughs> we'll pick up next week. <laughs> but that's, you know, ultimately what really pushed me over the edge was there was just uh, God put around me a chorus of people who said, yes, we see in you, uh, you know, it, not that I was great by any means at that point. It's, it's still not polished or probably where it ought to be. But just we see the glimmer that God is calling you in this direction keep pursuing it. So ultimately moved from Colorado uh, back here. Um, I work on the family farm and I was able to pursue my MDiv uh, while doing that. And so five short years later, <laughs> uh, we, uh, I graduated uh, with my MDiv and at that point I took the pastorate here at this church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of neat. I mean, your story parallels a lot of people's where you had an opportunity Kind of probably encouraged, pushed a little bit into mm-hmm. to ministry that was a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. But one of the things I've heard 
frequently and, and have thought about myself, you know, when we're moving, it's easy for God to direct us, mm-hmm. but it's the people who don't take that first step mm-hmm. that it's really hard for them to get going. Mm-hmm. You, you take those first, they're a little easier, really. You, you don't fully responsible for everything, but you're, you're helping and then taking some smaller steps. And then once you do that, it, it seems like it's easy for God to say, well, okay, there's, there's another step. And then along the way, you have those men that you're talking about that come in and say, yeah, you need to keep going and this, this is a good path for you. We, we can see that God's working and that's confirmation that this is the right path and mm-hmm. you just continue to take a step at a time. You don't know where it's going to end up. Mm. I mean, when you start, took that first uh, helping out with a youth group, you don't know where that's going to go. Mm. And most people are not even thinking that it goes beyond the youth group. Right. Even this year, it's like, oh yeah, one year, I'll try it a little bit. <laughs> like, exactly. You're kind of hoping it'll end after that. Somebody else will step in. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it does. It. If you're really open to what God's doing, it seems like God... He gives you other doors, and it's at every step along the way, the way I kind of view it, it's like God opens a door and says, are you willing to trust me this far? Mm -hmm. And you don't see all the open doors and where they're going to go. You only see one open door, and it... From where you are, it's, well, it's, it's close. It's, it's not that big of a jump. You go, oh, right. okay, I, I'll go that far, but mm-hmm. not any further. But once you're there and you learn the lessons from that door, mm-hmm. then the next door is like, oh, okay, well, there's another one. Well, you know, okay, it's not that far from where I am now. Yeah. It was a long way from where I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's my story. You know, I think that's most people in ministry. You, you follow those open doors, and then you, one day you wake up and go, how did I get here? Exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of open doors. Right. And, and those people along the way who said, yeah. This is God's work and keep following him. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when I was in Colorado and still, um, we'd been several years into the youth ministry at that point, but then things had kind of shifted and, and all of a sudden I found myself with this opportunity to fill a pulpit every so often. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really good because it, it gave me more of those opportunities to, to test out this calling and see if it really was there. And, yeah. and then... Um, ultimately yielding to that and, and, and moving back here to Iowa and, and entering into uh, a MDiv program, I thought, oh no, I'm, I'm going to lose the chance to be behind the pulpit mm-hmm. um, because there's many, far fewer churches out here and um, nobody, you know, knew that I was, you know, doing this. Right. And, but yet again, kind of one of those open door things is, I very quickly found a couple of pulpits that I, I was preaching, you know, at least two times a month, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would just, it, it was just great and they, that God just kept, you know, yeah, just opening more doors. The, the picture that came to mind while you were talking about that is uh, I used to ride a lot of horses back in my younger days. Uh, a lot of times if you tried to point a horse, a, a, a newly uh, started out horse in one direction and try to get it to go, it, it'll just lock up, you know. Right. Uh, but if you take the reins and you pull its head to the side mm-hmm. and just, I want you to take a small step over here. You don't have to go yeah. into that destination right now. You just need to take this step to the side. Yeah. That gets them opened moving. up to moving, like you said. Yeah. yeah. And then, then all of a sudden, then, then you can direct them back towards where you wanted them to go to begin with. But yeah. just the vision of heading straight ahead in that direction was too much for them. Right. And that step to the side yeah. opens things up to get them there ultimately. Yeah. yeah, you can direct a horse that's moving. It's hard to direct one that's not moving. That's my, right. My aunt and uncle broke horses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I have that experience where, yeah, it's, it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> but, but, but then you take that one or two steps and once it's moving, it's like the, the brain unlocks. Go, oh, we're moving now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now, now where are we going? <laughs> I think that's the way we are sometimes. We get stuck. Like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if we can get unstuck, just 
just a little step and we start moving. Okay, I'm moving. Now, where am I going? Right. But you're not asking where you're going if you're not moving. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm going to go anywhere. <laughs> I'm staying here. <laughs> so now you eventually got here and mm-hmm. you're a bivocational pastor. I am. So I guess one of the questions that a lot of people would ask, what are the benefits and right. the difficulties of right. being a bivocational pastor. Okay. Uh, one of the great, two, two great benefits I'll share just in my own experience. Um, one, I, initially our church was very small um, and would not be able to support me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the loving people and probably would have done everything they could to, uh, but I got four kids and, and, and there are needs, you know, the, the lights need to be on, the rent needs to be paid. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, being bivocational freed me up and, and still does that, that I don't have to be a financial burden mm-hmm. on my small rural church. Right. Um, the second thing, uh, and, and maybe I'll add a third. The second thing is, is I can relate to a lot of the people in my church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I can be somewhat of an example that, that they don't have to be in professional ministry right. to be a voice for the gospel in their context. Right. Uh, they can use their vocation mm-hmm. uh, in, in being a Christian witness mm-hmm. in this world. Um, and, and so I, I love being, re- being able to relate to my congregation, uh, or the people God has, has set here with me. And then, and then thirdly, um, they can have some assurance that that I'm here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, some of that comes with me being from here, but there are some hindrances right. that come with that too. Uh, but <laughs> I, I I have a career here, mm-hmm. uh, and. I don't say that like that is my main goal. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it, it does allow me to stay here. You're anchored uh, in a different I'm, way. I'm anchored in a, in a different way. I have other tethers here and, and that's a good thing. Right. We have, um, we have a lot of mainline churches here and a lot of, uh, um, ministers could possibly give off the idea of, well, I'm here for five years and then I'm going to get replaced somewhere else. Um, and, and because of that, they, they don't have those other ties. And it's hard to build relationships with people like that. I know a lot of people always are hesitant because, well, we know you're leaving, so why bother? Right. You know, you're going to leave. And that's, if we invest too much in this relationship, then, you know, it just hurts us in the long run. But you're different because you're anchored here in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And that really allows people to say, oh, you're okay to build a relationship with because it has the potential to go on the rest of your life, the rest of my life. And it's, it's a, a relationship worth investing in. Right, right, right. I, ho- I hope that translates t- to people right. anyway. And sometimes small churches can get the idea that like, we're just a starter church for a preacher. Right. You know, right. we're his, his training grounds and then we'll send him off and somebody else will come. And, right. and again, that, that hinders the relationship building. So when I first started... Uh, seminary, so probably, I don't know, 26 years ago or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, I know the average in Iowa was like three and a half years that really? a pastor would stay in a church. And, mm-hmm. and part of that is Iowa has a lot of these small rural churches, mm-hmm. and they're always looking for pastors, and they'll take the first guy out of seminary that will come, and he's not necessarily thinking, I'm a rural church pastor. And there's a difference between a suburban church and an urban church and a rural church. Mm-hmm. That's something we don't often think about. And as a church, I, I don't know that it's a good pattern to just take the first guy that shows up. Like, hey, preach is good. Hey, if he's not a rural guy, 
he may not have any intention of stick, sticking around, and it might not be the place God has for him. I mean, mm-hmm. it might be. Some guys, they get out in the country and go, I love it out here. I'm right. staying. So it's it's good to give the, some of them a shot, I suppose. But I, I don't know, that three and a half years, that just seemed to me really bad. <laughs> just really, <laughs> I've always struggled with that, partly because of my thoughts about the role of the pastor as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And it's too often those pastors leave when there's no other shepherd there. Mm-hmm. So they're leaving, they have this flock and they come and they say, I'm okay, I'm the shepherd, I'm taking care of this flock. Oh, a bigger flock's called me, gotta go. I abandoned you. And it's like, well, I don't know what's gonna happen to those guys, but I'm gone. Right. So, okay, that, that doesn't seem to be the heart of a shepherd. No. I don't see that at all. And I could see, I, I do think God moves people sometimes, mm-hmm. but consistently every three and a half years, probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what it looks like to, to have that combination where, yes, God does move people, but you have to take care of the flock. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's always something I've struggled with. You know, I think if God called you, we were, we were invested. I think part of my views on it have been really colored by being in Japan, where you have these these pastors coming to the church, and they know they're probably it for their lifetime. Right. They're not moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear a few once in a while, but a lot of them's like, oh, this pastor, he started the church. And he died there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this pastor was was called uh, after the second pastor, and he he was installed as a pastor, and he died there. Or mm-hmm. he got so old, and you know, he couldn't do it. I mean, that's the pattern. I mean, that and that's the expectation from the church and and the people much more frequently than it is in the states. Is it hard to build that expectation in leaders? I, I think so. Yeah, I, and I think partly because we come from this culture where we, I don't know how we got to where we are. <laughs> Because I don't think we always used to be this way, mm-hmm. but from where we are now, it's really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is the the understanding of the leader. And I, and I guess this is just my opinion. I know you can disagree, but I think there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor, particularly mm-hmm. in their hearts. So like there are some people that are are preachers, and they really they love to preach, and they're really good at it, but they don't have a pastor's heart. Mm-hmm. And I think those guys, it's easy to move. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't ever really invested in the sheep. They were invested in, I want a place to preach. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who have the pastor's heart, and they're not great preachers, mm-hmm. but they're great pastors. Mm-hmm. They're preaching is part of what they do. Right. Uh, and I think the rural churches, particularly the rural church, I think all churches really, you have to have a pastor. But a bigger church, you're more likely to have a staff where you have a preacher and you have some that have the heart of the pastor. But right. a rural church, you only have one. Right. And if he's a preacher and he's not really has that pastor's heart, he's probably not going to stay. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he'll develop it, and I think sometimes people do. But sometimes, you know, they just don't have that love for the flock that Jesus has for his church. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if you see that, but I, I kind of see that sometimes. There is a difference in people's gifting and the way they see their calling, and then that affects the way they prepare. Because mm-hmm. some people are really preparing to preach well. They're not equally preparing to pastor well. Mm-hmm. And some are preparing to pastor and... The, the preaching you can get on the job. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get the shepherding. You know, if you if you don't really have that heart, it, it's hard to develop that once you get into that preaching role because you can spend 30 hours a week preparing your mess and have great right. messages and you're you're kind of avoiding all the shepherding stuff. <laughs> so I see that as a big, a big issue in the rural churches. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I, I think uh, every, like you said, every congregation needs a pastor mm-hmm. um, and and definitely so in, in the rural churches, um, mm-hmm. because if, if the pastor's not doing it, there isn't anybody else there right. to, to meet those relational needs mm-hmm. of the church. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that, going back to, you know, my, I don't know, my heartbeat's always disciple making. We, we don't do a good job of raising up, I would call them lay shepherds. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think we, 
we would benefit, the church would benefit from us spending more effort in developing lay shepherds in the church. And that is people who come alongside the pastor and are doing the shepherding. And mm-hmm. that's, it becomes a bigger issue as the church grows. I, I kind of have thought, and maybe you, you've been here long enough and maybe seen the church grow. And I'm not sure how, what the difference is when you came and now, mm-hmm. but I think somewhere around 30 or so is the limit of one person's ability to shepherd well. Mm-hmm. And then after that, if you don't have people in the church who are coming alongside and kind of lay shepherds, helping shepherd, it gets really hard to shepherd everyone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're not intentional about that. And if we are, I think the church has a, a great facility, a great ability to, to shepherd everyone. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're not intentional. So the church gets large and then you, you really can only preach to them. Mm-hmm. And it, the shepherding gets like it's hit or miss. If they're loud enough voice, they get shepherded. If they seem to be doing okay, you're just like, you're doing good. <laughs> I don't right. have time right now. <laughs> right. So how has the church changed since over the time that you've been here? Uh, we've been very blessed to grow. Um, COVID had a lot to do with that. Um, just because, uh, you know, we, we don't have a lot of church buildings around. So when, you know, you close a couple of them and one is open, it, everybody goes it, it's kind of funneled there. The people who want to be in in-person church sure. uh, funneled uh, towards us. And we were glad to have them. They've been wonderful additions to our church. Um, uh, but yes, it, it, it has become more difficult mm-hmm. uh, to pastor the church and, and you don't want you don't want to be that guy who only shows up when there's a fire. Right. You know what I mean? Like some tragic big life event that, you know, you can't avoid not going at that moment. You, you want to be relationally interacting with these people in in their walk with Christ so that that's not an odd interaction for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of the things, uh, one of the characteristics of my calling is I'm not, just naturally a people person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's been a hurdle. And, and thankfully, gracious people in my church, uh, is in, and also throw in the bivocational thing in there where you're not necessarily available at every minute of every day of uh, people who've uh, been gracious enough to be like, you know what, you probably could have done a little better here in this instance with me. Right. You know, the, a person who had that kind of, you know, wherewithal to just say, yeah, I would have liked you to have been there more, Pastor. Right. And and, and they're still in the church. They're still yeah. worshiping with us. But, you know, just, hey, well, see, that's you're great. new at this. <laughs> I think a lot of pastors don't get that. They don't. I mean, I, we should welcome that. As any kind of church leader, we should welcome that person who comes up and says, you know, you, you didn't do great in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, particularly if I can share you what great looks like mm-hmm. so that you can kind of shoot for that next time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know. If, did you meet expectations? Because they're not verbalized, except you, you see the back of someone going out the door. Exactly. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, that was not what we we're going for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. But before we do, I just want to say I'm always fascinated by the stories of how God works in different people's lives to get them from where they are to where he wants them to be. It seems to be this amazing process of God bringing in a combination of the right people and the right circumstances at the right time to direct people to the right ministry. Um, I just am always uh, fascinated by that. Hopefully you see how God is working in your life to direct you just to the right place so that you're prepared for the ministry that God has for you. So we're going to take a short break 
And then we'll be back with the second half of this interview with Nick Spencer of Grace Fellowship Church. <laughs> 